Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. It's, the punches. A, it's kind of a bit where we, we it's a bit we were we're pulling back the curtain uh to the the extremely <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, intricate really, operation yeah. we're running there's something oh, i don't have a quote from this if you will something, something about something about the phrase um pulling back the curtain I, I i'm having a hard time grasping what that means do you have an alternative expression for that i Some don't other... i don't nope. have one specifically with this film which is a hong kong film not to Seth, believe in the past you me... you've gotten in trouble for Okay. I've never gotten in trouble for anything. Seth, can you I, tell me funny. Uh, like an alternative, um, maybe Nobody more germane uh, phrase for for the idea of like revealing something about the inner workings of a thing? Uh, inside look. Don't bully our guests. Not quite Jason. there. Not quite uh, there. Opening up the supermarket. Eh? Ooh, that's a definitely that's that a, is, a safe one to go that with. That is wildly why germane. Does, why does that sound more euphemistic than the one that Jason? Yeah. Was it didn't to until you just, just said that. Just talk about your balls. <laughs> uh, the, the the funny part about having a, a podcast that's very niche uh, is that you, you, as Harry brought up, you can just like for all everybody knows, I could be uh, you know thirty percent of the way through every single podcast, just start like espousing dangism on the podcast, and no one would have any idea. I could. I could just be like a radical Maoist and nobody nobody would know. You know what I mean? No, I'm pretty um, sure that all the, of us the have problem called for with like that active take... uh, like dis- destruction of the police state and like open calls for piracy. And we do that at the beginning podcast, of the podcast right? very often. Yes, know? welcome. I mean, to, we welcome, often start thank you very much for listening to Trilev, fuck, fuck the police, uh, 1312 ACAB, all that. The, the problem with that take, though, is that this is a podcast about people we meet at the Trilon as well. So there is sort of like a uh, there's an arc there, right, where it's like if you're if you get big enough as a podcast, then you're almost impersonal enough that you can start to do uh, like awful shit again. Right. But like we are so far on the other curve where there's like there are three people who listen to this podcast, but I know them. And I like speak to them. That's a, that's a very good point. We are not getting canceled by the masses, but there is like one guy who runs the trilon who like once every six months is like, I should probably listen to that episode for a guest on there. And he's like, oh, Mike, he just started talking about Den Xiaoping. I don't understand what he's right. doing. Yeah. Good point. This is a good opening, I think. I love, I love, so I love the way that this opens the podcast. Uh, and of course, that is the Trilove podcast. Thank you very much for listening. It is a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. Uh, me and the Tiger have been friends for a while now, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I was shoving people into wood chippers a full year, a full year before Fargo made it cool. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I can't live without my Kung Fu movies. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And I'm Aaron, and I, I do have a quote from this movie, but just pretend that there is a uh, different actor uh, dubbing over my quote uh, in the background here. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at RB Please. 
And returning from uh, many episodes um, of Trilove, and uh, one of Stoop Kids, and from the room next to me, we have Seth Zerati returning to Trilove. Welcome back, Seth. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's October, and this was one of the first movies I watched. Uh, I'm freezing my butt off. And you can find me uh, at SN Zerati. Man, that onesie he pops on. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the iconic look, right? Hell from yes. this movie. Like, yeah, he, of course. He does don a lot of fits, but it, that onesie dude, it, that he's freezing his ass off in. It's wild how no matter what Jackie Chan wears, he looks like a fit god. Like it, clothes that no other human being could possibly pull off. And they he's, look he's literally wearing like 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 a loose cable knit thin sweater. That and was exactly nothing else the sweater that I had in mind when I brought this up. Yes, thank it you. It is Jason. absolutely nuts. We should have it a whole section dedicated. Of, uh, like the 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 Reddit like male fashion advice uh, like like tip for like dressing well. Step one: uh, be attractive. Be Jackie Step Jan. two: be attractive. Yeah, <laughs> be, be, <laughs> like be you can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, I have come to realize how important shoulder muscles are to making shirts look good on you. And uh, I'm just resigned now to never actually having shirts to look good on me. But thank you very much, Seth, for giving us a great talking point and for joining us on another episode of our podcast. Uh, and thank you to the motorist outside of my window. It is a little bit too warm in this apartment to uh, leave the windows closed. But uh, they're, you know, my proxy guest. Uh, today, I'm going to let Aaron take it away and talk about what movie we're actually covering. Yes, we are talking about, uh, if you'd figure this one out, Rumble in the Bronx, uh, which is a Jackie Chan film. It's 1995, Rumble in the Bronx, directed by Stanley Tong, who also directed, uh, I don't think we didn't talk about Super Cop for an episode, but we did do Police Story 3. We did do Police Story mm-hmm. 1 and 2, which he did not direct. But uh, yes, most most famous for uh, uh, you know Super Cop, uh, Police Story 3, also very famous for Rumble in the Bronx, um, which is starring Jackie Chan as Ma Han Kang, a uh, uh, Hong Kong uh, police officer who arrives in uh, the Big Apple. I guess he arrives in the Bronx uh, to visit his Uncle Bill, who is played by Bill Tung, who is getting married. Uh, Uncle Bill is also finalizing the sale of his grocery store to a woman named Elaine, who is played by Anita Mui uh, in this film. Uh, Kang helps Elaine around the grocery store, uh, but eventually gets into a uh, fight with members of a local gang uh, that were kind of shoplifting Kayung. Kayung, okay, all right, thank you. Okay, Kayung, Kiyung, Kiyung, Kiyung. Oh yeah, that is the phonetics. Uh, yes, Kiyung. Bro, did you watch the uh, movie? I did watch the movie. Uh, look, he gets into a fight with members of a local gang who are shoplifting from the grocery store, um, and uh, that kind of snowballs into more and more violent altercations uh, around the Bronx. Um, also involved in the in the gang is a young woman named Nancy. Uh, who is played here by Francoise Yip, uh, who, when she's not doing gang shit, uh, kind of takes care of her younger uh, disabled brother, Danny, who uh, uses a wheelchair to, to get around. Um, all of this, this is a very complicated movie to explain. All of this is complicated even more by the gang getting involved in an illegal diamond deal. Um, and when one of the members of the gang makes off with and hides millions of dollars uh, worth of diamonds, uh, Kyung uh, must uh, team up with the gang in order to protect his new friends from an even larger threat. Um, Rumble in the Bronx was uh, wildly successful, actually, on release uh, on a, a very, very small budget. It actually, if you compare the budget of the film to how much it made, it's, it's actually one of the highest returns, I think, of all time, or at least it was when the Wikipedia entry was written. Um, it also was kind of the film that really catapulted Jackie Chan career uh, in uh, the West and specifically America as well. Um, the success of this film caused uh, previously mentioned uh, Police Story 3 to be re-released in the United States as Super Cop. Um, and this film also kind of led to his role uh, opposite Chris Tucker in 1998's Rush Hour. 
Um, Seth, uh, you, uh, you're joining us on the pod. You watched the movie. What did you think? Uh, this, uh, is probably second to rush hour two in my most watched Jackie Chan movies. Easily seen this probably 15 or 20 times growing up. (laughs) Uh, I think as you were going through this, it made me aware just of like, uh, how fortunate I was to be growing up at this time when like Jackie Chan's Western stardom like exploded. And so really it it's weird looking back for me because I've seen this movie so many times and because the, the plot is really sort of out there. Uh, I didn't really have any sort of prepared thoughts. I rather just wanted to talk about like, my experience with rumble in the Bronx and I guess maybe even Jackie Chan movies in general, if that's okay, but I don't want to, this is, this is your space right now. Okay, cool. I'll keep going. Like, uh, my dad, obviously, uh, he was born in the early seventies. He grew up watching, you know, Shaw brothers movies, uh, early golden harvest, Bruce Lee movies. So he already had an appreciation for Kung Fu films, martial arts films. Um, And so I don't know if Rumble in the Bronx was the first Jackie Chan movie I saw uh, because like right around that time was when a lot of, you know, like VHSs were being made available. So it definitely, if it wasn't this, it was probably Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, And like, I just have a lot of memories from early childhood and like my teenage years, always going back to Rumble in the Bronx, something about it. Like it just... Uh, parts of it stick out. Like I know I talked with Jason about like even just some of the sound effects that the the bad guys make when they get punched <laughs> became like a running joke with my siblings. So, uh, you know, it, it's just a, a mainstay in the Zerati household. Can I ask about the, the Rush Hour 2 specifically? Because I grew up specifically with Rush Hour 1. I think I had a, a copy of it on VHS. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but from looking through Letterboxd recently for doing some research on this and then other Jackie Chan movies we've been talking about, I think there's a lot of people who kind of grew up just with two and one, maybe they saw once or twice, but they weren't really aware of it. And I'm kind of the opposite. And I was like, what was your, did you watch Rush Hour 1 at all? Or was it all just like Rush Hour 2 growing up? Uh I, it was it was an interesting scenario because I know that the first time that I saw Rush Hour was I was being babysat by my aunt and her husband uh, took us to a video store and he wanted to rent Rush Hour, which had just come out on VHS. Uh, and so I always had just these weird feelings associated with Rush Hour because of the environment I watched it in. Uh, while Rush Hour 2, I watched it in theaters. Also, 1998, I was six. I was probably seven when the VHS came out. So uh, I think I was more stressed out about being uh, separated from my parents than I was about watching a Jackie Chan movie. Uh, and so I guess just by the time Rush Hour 2 came along, um, I was, you know, I think I was 12 and really in the sort of prime uh, stage of my life to appreciate the the humor the action the comedy chris tucker's you know bombastic performance like it all just kind of worked for me as far as my uh thoughts on this movie i watched this for the first time probably four or five years ago uh when there were a bunch of jackie chan movies still on netflix i think a lot of them have been pared down to uh maybe a couple of the quote-unquote essentials like drunken master 2 um but i 
always come away like thoroughly impressed with this movie. I think this watching was where I was trying to, I think, pull pull fewer punches and try to be a little bit more critical than normally I would be. Not in a you know to extent to not enjoy it, but just to like really question where um you know how some of these elements of Jackie Chan's work that we've come to appreciate so much through this podcast alone uh, were introduced to and positioned to the West. Um, I, I guess just to go through like my my own thoughts, my own notes. Um, uh, R.I.P. Uh, Anita Mui again, returning from Drunken Master Two. Uh, I wish she had way more to do in this movie. There are the few scenes that she's in. I think uh, are really effective, and she's very good in them. But man, she is a very small character for as big as her personality and her character can be. Um, I overall, I think the movie has this sort of problem uh, where I don't know. I think I think the people who put together the movie, I think the in the writing and the directing, I think they sort of I think they overestimate, and it's sort of explained or excuse me sort of exemplified by uh aaron's overall summary of the movie i think there's an overestimation of how much people care about the plot of this movie um and how much we need really those rising stakes to be there to be excited by the movie i don't know if it was just a misunderstanding of what people really enjoyed about jackie chan when he was doing uh work exclusively uh in the you know uh in the in asian territories um and in the chinese speaking world versus you know uh, bringing it to the west but it just it tends to i think bad like sandbag a lot of the rest of the movie for me um there is uh like a lack of understanding that really really strong understanding of setup and punchline that uh at least films directed by jackie chan seem to have i remarked to seth there's one the scene where he's being chased up and up various floors of a parking garage and eventually he lands in a truck full of bouncy balls uh there is no setup to you know that whole concept of jackie chan hiding in a truck full of bouncy balls and yet it's like the most jackie chan concept in the world is you know hiding in a truck full of bouncy balls and doing something creative with them and then it's just also sort of thrown away as jackie chan jumping out of it and then destroying the truck i know that this film was not uh it, it was a hong kong production but meant to be introducing to Western audiences. I wonder what that like lack of faith in the punchline in the setup in the like worthiness of the moment, rather than the spectacle of, you know, a car falling off of a parking ramp. I wonder what that says about their expectations for what was going to work in, in the Western, uh, you know, in the space. Seth. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've, I've thought about this too, and this is a little bit, uh, uh, shot from the hip. I apologize for not doing a little bit more nuanced research here, but I did notice upon rewatching it uh, most recently for the podcast that there seems to be a number of like beats that are not typical of most of Jackie Chan's movies. Like in a lot of other, a lot of his other films, uh, you know, family members play a bigger part and his uncle uh, is sort of the intro to Kyung coming to the Bronx. But after the first 20 minutes or so, uh, he's gone. Uh, yeah. And then it's it's just Kyung by himself. Uh, it's a there, big old pile of Bill Dung, I'll tell you what. <laughs> uh, there is um, uh, just like more blood and violence, uh, just in terms of like people getting thrown into wood chippers. And, mm-hmm. you know, like he's obviously had, you know, gun violence and, and weapons and people dying, but it, it, like you said, it was normally, I guess, sort of like a casualty of action comedy rather than what almost felt like this very sort of Westernized American violence. And this is a a much minor, uh, much more minor thing, but I remember watching it. Um, There is some weird sort of chemistry 
or lack thereof between Kyung and Nancy's character. And uh, there's a scene where after they escape the club being chased by the gang members, uh, Tony and Angelo and those, those gang members uh, where they're like on a riverfront and they kiss. And it just, it took me out of it because I was like, Oh yeah. Like Jackie Chan, like never, never kisses people in movies. Yeah. It's the wildest scene, dude. <laughs> yeah. It, like it, it, it's it uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and what's so wild about that scene is I definitely thought it was one of the scenes they added on Western release, but it's not. That was in the original as well. There are several yeah. scenes that were added uh, to the Western version of this movie, but that was always in there, which is really, I'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. I think, I think overall, just that concept of what was like prepared to be palatable to like go down the gullet of Western audiences better. I think that that's like a very smart decision, obviously from a, from a, from an international releasing perspective um, and from a marketability perspective. And like Aaron said, it paid off. It was hugely successful, but I just like, it sort of removes a little bit of the magic. Like I see something a little bit more, classically what i would expect or what i wanted buried under there buried under a sheen of like this will sell in you know mid-america sort of thing um uh finishing out my thoughts um i uh i think like there is a certain amount of nuance but an exact amount of tastelessness uh to the portrayals of race and ethnicity in this movie uh it's pretty bald right off the top between um whitney that is carrie kane sparks's character and uncle bill who's who's you know they're getting married um they're in a relationship and that opening scene where they're introduced and Jackie has like this, uh, you know, gobsmacked moment of, Oh, uh, you know, a Chinese man kissing a black woman, uh, and just like sort of very, very overt, uh, you know, racial tones, um, to that scene. It is, you know, quite uncomfortable, whatever, you know, ultimately it ends up in a, on a wholesome note following, you know, a later scene where, um, Bill and, uh, and Whitney are wearing the same shirt and it's very cute and they've got their wedding, you know, upcoming and all that stuff. Like it, it ends up evening out, but I think the, like the other side of that very overblown, I guess, portrayal, that sort of uncomfortable space that it lives in is like an almost nuanced uh, portrayal of like, like there's a moment where Jackie, sorry, Kiyoung is uh, defending the market and uh, Eileen uh, Anita Mui is, uh, he's telling him to, he's telling one of the criminals to apologize. And the criminal uh, appears to be Asian uh, by, by ethnicity. And, uh, and he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Jackie hits him again and says, no, say it in Chinese. And so the guy repeats it in Cantonese. Uh, apparently, you know, the, the language that um, Anita Mui's character is, is then speaking. And there are a few times that it does that, you know, where they do intentionally, even with the dubbing situation, they do intentionally switch to Cantonese to communicate a certain idea or to communicate a monologue or whatever. Um, and I wonder if that was like, I know that that was part of why it was there to introduce and integrate in, you know, Jackie to the West, uh, and, you know, bring some element of his character's culture to, you know, uh, to the story as well as just the overblown action. But I, I wonder if there's not anything a little bit more there to that, um, you know, that in very intentional editorial choice. Uh, let's see, that's probably long enough for me. And I, I think I hear, uh, uh, yeah, that's, I believe that's Cody knocking at the door. So, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ha handstand my way over there and, uh, oh, I didn't know we uh, could do uh, that. Uh, oh my uh, God. There we, go. there we go. Hey, hey Cody, how's the weather up there? Oh, hey, Je whoa, whoa, not the view I was, uh, anticipating walking through the doorway here, but, um, oh, thank you. Wow. What, my, my penis. Uh, yeah, yeah. To make the 
the subtext text. Um, but thank you, uh, regardless, for letting me in. Um, great stuff so far, fellas. Uh, as far as my, I guess, mileage with this movie goes, I saw this movie one other time uh, a few years ago. Uh, I've watched and rewatched a lot of Jackie Chan's filmography since then, in part by myself and in part uh, with with you all, the fellas. Um, and I, yeah, I appreciate Rumble in the Bronx more now than... I did when I first saw it, if for any other reason, just because I find myself appreciating Jackie Chan even more now than I did somehow. Uh, and I, I guess I'm going to get into a lot of things that have already been gestured at by the um, by those you know you guys who have talked so far. Um, and I find I usually start my top level thoughts with like more negative leaning things, and I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. I had a lot of fun watching this movie, and I liked it even more um, this time around. Like I said, uh, there are. However, what I would maybe call um, like some unforced errors at play here in this movie that we don't necessarily see in other vintage, more vintage Jackie Chan movies, but you know that we do start to see as he does, you know, enter the the new millennium and does more American productions. Um, and I, I know Aaron already covered a lot of this, but Stanley Tong he directed this movie, and this is likely his most well known work. He not only directed the third police story movie, but also the fourth one, um, which I don't think is like explicitly coded as a police story sequel. It's like Jackie Chan's first strike or something like that. Um, and he also directed a handful of other like lesser known Jackie Chan films from like the late 2010s, um, whatever we're calling those. Rumble in the Bronx came out, it came out a year after Drunken Master 2 and three years before the first Rush Hour. And from what I've seen and watched of him during that uh, specific stretch of time, him being Jackie Chan, it was sort of a period in limbo where, you know, like the, the fight choreography was all still very elite because he was allowed so much control and autonomy over all of it. But the movies themselves didn't, they didn't do much. They were from my memory, very like distinct presences in video rental stores. Um, uh, that's a phrase I've not said in a long, long time. Uh, I don't even know if that's the right way to categorize them. Hollywood video, blockbuster, et cetera, Rumble in the Bronx and um, 1997's Mr. Nice Guy uh, are two titles I do remember seeing on shelves a lot. As a kid, though, I only really ever latched on to uh, Mr. Nice Guy. I've seen that at least 50 times in my lifetime. That's probably a conservative guess. Uh, so I guess my point, if I have one, is that Rumble in the Bronx, it still has Jackie Chan kicking ass. It still has familiar faces in Anita Moy and Bill Tung. Uh, but it also has, you know, the weird sensationalizing of inner city crime. It has some conflicting and half-baked commentaries about race and class, things that it didn't necessarily need to get into in order for it to be a movie about Jackie Chan beating people up. Uh, that being said, this is still a movie about Jackie Chan beating people up and <laughs> watching him do that stuff only gets better and more impressive with time, at least for me. Uh, after having seen... A lot of earlier Jackie Chan works uh, kind of more recently where he's often he's playing a variation of like a young hammy troublemaker, uh, you know, it was especially fascinating with this rewatch to register that, okay, he's roughly 40 years old in this and he can't necessarily like lean on that same shtick anymore that he used to be able to for the sake of the story and winning the audience over. He needs to lower himself or be brought lower in different ways now. And that's fun. It's nearly always fun. It's fun to watch Jackie Chan do stuff and his movies tend to have a high floor because of that fact. Um, so thank you, John Moret, for giving us an excuse to talk about Jackie Chan uh, periodically over the last few weeks. And uh, 
sorry, unrelated. Who is who is this that just jumped into my truck full of vibrant rubber balls? Why, why it's Harry. Harry, are you um are you hiding from something or from someone or are you able to maybe spare some time to share your thoughts about this movie? Yeah, but first I got to ask what's up with the Confederate flag hat that you're wearing? Did you notice oh, that that guy was wearing a Confederate flag hat? I thought that yeah. was very funny and yeah. and weird. Uh, Welcome to and, the Bronx. Sort of emblematic of this movie's sense of multiculturalism. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting. I think we've we've covered a lot of really great stuff already. Um, some of the stuff, Cody, that you called unforced errors, I don't disagree with, but but were in fact some of my favorite parts of watching this movie. Um, I found this movie really charmingly outdated and quirky and sort of out of touch. Um, my my maybe my favorite part of this entire movie is it's such a subversion of the sort of um, like orientalist racism of Hollywood, right? Where like, it was so fun to see a Hong Kong action movie due to New York, what we have been doing to Shanghai and Hong Kong and Macau and uh, Taiwan and um, every other sort of like major Chinese city through time, right? This is like, this is very much like exactly a Chinese film studio doing to New York what Hollywood does to China so often. And so we get to see this like hilariously out of touch, hilariously juvenile, um, like 3000 foot view of what uh, Hong Kong film stars think New York must be like. And so we get like motor gangs who listen to hard rock music and like graffiti. uh, But, but it's like graffiti that says stuff like love your tits, Roxanne and stuff. It's like this, this sort of like very 1980s. When when you love someone named Roxanne's tits, what, what else are you supposed to do? That's a a good point. You're not, you're not wrong, but like this very like 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger PC version of gangs. And so like you get the feeling that I thought that maybe that maybe one of the damning things about this movie and maybe one of the redemptive things about this movie is i feel like they would have been more racist if they knew how <laughs> maybe maybe that's a weird thing to say but i i feel like this is not a movie that's necessarily trying not to be racist it's just that it's such a cartoon that the villains end up not really resembling any distinct ethnicity or ideology at all so much as like biker gangs in new york which is very funny um that being said yeah there's a lot of awkwardness here i guess um there there is that scene which actually not to cancel myself but kind of works for me where like uh jackie chan's character is confronted with an interracial relationship and that is unusual for him to see that is uh pretty like brushed aside quickly um to the movie's nebulous credit um the plot here really disintegrates at a pace much faster than i'm even used to in jackie chan movies unfortunately that doesn't really work for me um generally i really like uh jackie chan movies more the longer i watch them whereas in this case i feel like this was kind of fighting for its life for me um even though it's not quite 90 minutes long um you know like i i never want drunken master or police story to end but here it was like i really enjoyed the first act that set up the characters really well and then when it stopped being that movie and became like three other movies uh as an excuse to do um what it had to do i it fell off for me a little bit um it is it is a a genuinely very silly movie um and it also maybe my favorite part of all is that it sits at this really funny intersection of a couple of different sensibilities of not only jackie chan and his career but also sort of like the status of hong kong action movies in america and the status of action movies and it's all refracted through this lens of an of a sort of outside perspective right much like uh Keong is a uh, an outsider in the bronx we're sort of seeing a hong kong film studio attempt to make 
what I believe they believe is a Western action movie. And that manifests in all of these interesting ways, right? Where like, like Seth had pointed out, there's a lot more violence and a lot more um, sort of like attempts to take on hard topics in this, like that the wood chipper scene that Cody brought up is like wildly out of tone for this movie. Um, there are a lot, a lot of people say fuck in this movie, which always stroke struck me as, as weird because it feels like a children's movie when it's not doing things like throwing people into wood chippers or saying fuck or shooting. Right. So, so that is a weird sort of intersection. Uh, similarly, they still make Jackie Chan this sort of very funny comedic foil, but they also try to James Bond him a little bit where he's also supposed to be charming. He's also, I mean, like I think that the first ever joke about him or at his expense is sort of emblematic of that, where he's checking himself out in what he thinks is a mirror, but it's a one-way mirror. And like, Anita Mui's character makes fun of him, but she's making fun of the fact that he has giant fucking guns that he's showing off, right? And that he's super built. Um, Similarly, they give Jackie Chan this weird moral scold dimension that he has like very clearly not had in earlier Hong Kong action movies like that. The one thing that sort of turns around the, the main or the main villain of act two is he says like in Cantonese, he says, I hope next time we see each other, we're not fighting. We're all drinking tea. And like, that's very orientalist. And so it's sort of a weird thing that again, you can feel the sort of tension between like, okay, how do we sell the idea of this character and his sort of like moral redemption arc and the effect that he has on these hardcore gangsters without sort of like ruining the spirit and sense of Jackie Chan and and what he's doing here. Um, I think that all culminates in a very, very weird final sequence that has nothing to do with Kung Fu and is instead a weird car chase through New York. And by New York, I mean Vancouver, because this is the most obvious that a city has ever been Vancouver uh, ever filmed. Uh, which is great irony. I know a lot of people have pointed that out, but it is extremely funny how this could only be Vancouver. You can see pine trees, you can see mountains, you can see like the layout and structure of the city. If if like you're familiar with Vancouver at all, like there, it's very very clear. Um, but all of that is to say that like I really dig the the quirkiness and I, as a cultural sort of historical artifact, I think this movie is a is a complete blast to watch. I don't think it like it's not not fun at any point. I think that it's it's just very. Strong strange um which i like a lot but that's those are my takes now i am um motorbiking over just dozens of cars just up and down smashing their roofs and one of them is aaron's car so i'm getting close to your car now aaron if you want to jump out and protect your vehicle from my motorbike here unfortunately harry this is the blooper reel and you have flipped over your bicycle and the uh the the medical crew is now cleaning you up off the sidewalk no i'm just kidding um yeah, I uh, I really liked From All the Bronx uh, quite a bit. I, I it's a shame that I didn't see this one kind of growing up, and I didn't have the same history that you know Seth did, for example. Because um, I th- I think I would have loved this one as much as you know I, I loved something like Rush Hour, you know, growing up, um, or even a few of the kind of more martial arts focused kind of early Jackie Chan movies that I saw um, as well. I I think that this film fits kind of. Um, pretty solidly into what I like to think of as kind of like the the middle of Jackie Chan's career, which is not necessarily chronologically, but I, I kind of think of his career in kind of like three separate buckets that I put his films into, or like a lot of his more prominent films, at least, um, where I think that the first bucket, you know, you have kind of like generally earlier uh, Jackie Chan films that are kind of more straight martial arts films. You have like the Drunken Master films, for example, uh, that would fit in there. Um, and then as like a second bucket, you have like Jackie Chan is as like often still doing like, you know, more kind of Chinese and like Hong Kong productions, but he is more of kind of um, 
you know, uh, uh, kind of a straight action star than necessarily like just a martial arts star, right? He's still doing a bunch of martial arts stuff in his films, but often he will use a gun or he'll, you know, do kind of more traditional like like action movie um, kind of stunts and whatnot. And then there's a third bucket where, where Jackie is kind of, especially later in his career, kind of come this become this big international star. He's often doing kind of international productions, often like American kind of action films. Um, and often during this time period, he's still doing, you know, Hong Kong films, Chinese films. Um, but, but, you know, he's doing the tuxedo. He's doing Rush Hour 2 or whatever. Um, and, and I, I often, and I think critics and people who watch Jackie Chan films often have an issue with some of the films, a lot of the films in kind of that, that third bucket. Um, it, you know, Jackie Chan is often doing a great job in those films. I don't think he's ever like phoned in a performance strictly in like an action movie. Um, but often the craft behind those films is kind of shoddy, right? Uh, I, I think the a video that people point to a lot is the, the every frame of painting on Jackie Chan, which is called how to do action comedy. Um, it's quite a good video. Um, one of the things that they kind of point out is just the difference in editing, which I think often gets kind of distilled down to like, oh, you know, there's, there's faster editing. Um, but it's often different than that. It's often like where cuts are made, right? Um, cuts are often made on hits so you don't actually see them, which is, I guess, an attempt to make the audience feel uh, the hit as the, the camera is changed. But it often kind of does the opposite where because you cannot see the actual martial arts happening, it kind of feels cheap and, and hollow. Um but there's the films in the second bucket, and I put police story films in there. I'd put Rumble in the Bronx in there too. I think are are kind of like very special um, in that you have kind of a lot of that that action movie, the typical action movie stuff uh, mixed in with like frequent Jackie Chan kind of martial arts performances. And I really love a lot of those movies. I really love the police story movies. Um, Rumble in the Bronx, I hope, is one that I'll kind of revisit uh, in the future. I think there's like a bunch of really interesting stuff in there. Um, and even even some of the stuff that I think people don't like in something like this, like the final act of this film with the hovercraft, um, I, I actually really ended up having a good time uh, during kind of the climax of this movie, uh, despite the fact that, um, you know, uh, to be honest, like Jackie Chan kind of, especially narratively for the last like 30 minutes of this movie, kind of doesn't really do anything. He's mostly hanging off of a rope or hanging off of a hovercraft. Um, and there, he's not actually given a lot to do, right? It's mostly like a very James Bond or like, I don't know, like Star Wars, like chase sequence where like this hovercraft is going through the city. It's running people over. It's smashing up cars. And it's like very much like a more typical action scene. But I still kind of in, in, enjoyed it. Um so yeah, I don't. I, I really like this movie a lot. I, I do think there are some negative things that we'll go into, but even kind of the more typical, less Jackie Chan-y kind of action moments in this, I ended up having a, a really good time. And there's also the middle of this movie where you get, you know, the the appliance fight. I guess is what it's been kind of called, right? Where it's just like a bunch of fridges and blenders and skis and whatnot that Jackie Chan is using to beat the shit up the people. So yeah, I I, I really like this one. Uh, no, I'm glad you brought up the hovercraft because I know that I brought this up to Jason while we were watching, uh, where I don't think I've ever seen another vehicle like this in, in life or in any other movie. Uh, and it, it's funny that I, or it takes me back to Mr. Nice Guy where there's also a massive dump truck. Uh, and so I just have this weird association where like, oh, a Jackie Chan action movie has to include like vehicles being used in ways that you would never imagine. Uh, but like, like you said, nothing's really happening beyond the spectacle of 
here's Jackie Chan interacting with these things in way, in ways you would have never really thought uh, possible or, or honestly uh, safe at all, but it's Jackie Chan. So he makes it work. I, I, I put this in my notes for kind of my, my thoughts on the film and I couldn't kind of fit it in anywhere, but what is the, like the late nineties and early two thousand people were fucking obsessed with hovercrafts. They just like, I, there were just hovercrafts and all sorts of media. There was hovercraft and uh, I think die another day, which was like a, that was like a 1999 oh, 2000 yeah. James Bond movie. Yeah. Which is like, that's actually a really good action sequence and otherwise like absolutely terrible movie. Uh, but like hovercrafts were everywhere. And I, I have not seen a hovercraft in the last decade uh, at all. Uh, but yeah, that, that scene does feel like more well, one, a lot of this movie feels like the warriors and it does kind of feel like the bus scene from the warriors. Right. And so maybe it's attempting to do some of that, but it also feels very like Mad Max. And so I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, but I enjoyed that scene. I, I swear that the elevator pitch of this movie had to be Jackie Chan fights the warriors, right? Like it's, it's yeah. so obviously what they're doing. Um, something you mentioned, Aaron, that, that characterizes this movie really well and sort of like gets to the heart of the, the sort of humor that I find in this movie is that the, um, that second bucket movie, uh, bucket that you talked about with Jackie Chan's career it does this thing and i'm not trying to be condescending at all right because i i love those movies on on all of their merits but um there's there's this thing where like the the plot of these movies is so uh rudimentary and so clearly not the focus and often so sort of underwritten or underserved and then it, it's like by contrast the action scenes are absolutely the greatest action scenes ever put to film right i would i would definitely put police story particularly police story 2 in that bucket though i i do genuinely like the plot of both the police story movies it's like very clearly not the reason you're there um whereas i think that the third bucket and the first bucket of jackie chan movies they have a little bit more um give and take there but this movie definitely falls into that to the point where like it almost feels like a funny inadvertent sort of like um like uh joke at the expense of american movies right because it's like the parts of this movie that are the typical hollywood thing where they feel like they have to have a plot and they have to have criminals and they have to have sort of like um intrigue and even like romantic drama they're they're pretty roundly like dismissible right like i think that the this movie has an arc where the plot just plummets where it starts out feeling like a movie. And by the end of the movie, like we don't even get a resolving scene because by that point, who cares? And the movie knows it. Um, but by contrast, like every time the action starts to happen, you realize that you're still watching a Jackie Chan movie and it's better than anything America's ever made. And it, it's super funny to see like these, these blundering white dudes, uh, that are so over the top and so funny and so bad at what they're doing to the point where the movie itself makes fun of them for being idiots. But then like the, the action starts and it's like, oh, this is like, this is one of the best action movies ever made because it's Jackie Chan and he's doing things like somehow fighting six people at once using a refrigerator. And that, that contrast of like hyper competence versus sort of like, dismissiveness is very funny to me um and i think i think it's a really good sort of like look at what these movies were interested in and what they were really selling and and even sort of the tension between what they were selling and what they um what they sort of felt they had to sell but um i'm interested in what cody thinks do you do you agree with that cody or do you think that there's something else going on with all of that no i i agree with that that's sort of the flavor or the 
like variations of that flavor you're describing, just like we're all talking about our own individual sensibilities about like what sorts of micro factors in this movie like did and didn't make people tick. Um, and uh, like what you, uh, I guess what you and, and Seth were both de- describing, um, I don't know, we, we, or maybe what all of us have been talking about, like the specific sort of brand of, I, I guess I'll go back to, to give myself a focal point, the, what Seth was saying about the vehicles, um, just like Jackie Chan movies need to have, they need to have props, they need to have these big, like mechanical rolling structures, like integrated into the action at some point. And as somebody who grew up on Mr. Nice Guy and like watching, um, there's the dump, dump truck, there's a, like, there's a lot of construction machinery that like plays, that plays a role in that movie um that like looking back and and watching other jackie chan movies it's not like it's it's very much not the same and i i'm not coming into this having done a lot of research either i probably should watch like some of jackie chan's um like his documentaries or just like the the you know, hour long specials where he's just talking about the ideology behind his stunts and like why he chose to do certain things this way. But like watching Rumble in the Bronx this time around, I I could only help but think like even more so than when I watched it the first time. It's just like, man, he probably had a, a ball um, doing the choreography for this, integrating all these different like structures and props. Like this is a world, you know, even... It, aside from the fact that he is just like battling uh, the warriors, which I think is like a great 10 second pitch for this movie, but just like he's in New York um, he's in alleyways. He's in all these um, like, I don't know, environments that he otherwise would not be in. They're very like contemporary. Um, It's a very different environment from like the legend of drunken master. Um, But like he gets to do all these like cool things with them um, where it's, you know, the action it flows through him, but it also flows through these like stationary objects and he gets to be inventive with them. And it like specifically the culmination. And this was true for me in both my, uh, my watches of this movie, but like the final act was the piece that really, really did work for me. Um, there are different levels of like ridiculous and ludicrous in this movie, but specifically the culmination of we're casting aside the, the plot, like in a, in a movie that's like weirdly very plotty we're just kind of casting that aside for the last 15 or so minutes um uh you know the culmination of that with you know the props the the vehicles the hovercrafts uh and what jackie chan his characters do in these movies sometimes where he just like ascends to level of like authority or i don't like the police let him drive a hovercraft to catch a criminal who's shooting to kill which is like with his buddies riding just to murder this guy just to right. like kill it's, this guy in the car. <laughs> it's absurd, and I, I I I loved how absurd it was. I love that he he jousted against a hovercraft, which to Aaron's point, like had a, a significant like it had a moment in the mid to late nineties. Um, so like and like that also calls to like time and placeness of this movie. Um, which I don't know, like a lot of cans of worms potentially, but all of that is to say, like airy yeah like that that alongside a lot of other different variables created uh uh, something that i really felt myself gravitating toward especially once it got to like the ridiculousness of the final act of the movie maybe there's something about the the arrogance of pre-9-11 america and our love of amphibious vehicles we thought that we could have both the sea and the land and that's why the hovercraft came into vogue so much in the 90s it was sort of the end of history vehicle if you will uh, there is actually, for all of the obviousness that this is not New York City, there is one establishing shot that so very clearly shows the Twin Towers, both still standing. Yeah, pre, pre-9-11 world um, was a worse world. Uh, I think there's something to be said for what Cody was touching at with um, 
sort of the context in which a lot of these things that we recognize from Jackie Chan movies are cast anew almost. Um, and it plays into what uh, Harry was saying earlier about like that almost subversion. I don't know if I agree that it's like fully an intentional and effective subversion. I of- fully don't think that's true. No, it's definitely not intentional. Okay. That subversion is probably like part of this conversation too, but like that, I guess where I keep getting, where I keep coming back to is the like new context for those familiar characters and archetypes that we um, sort of, that we, that we know from having seen other Jackie Chan movies. And it's impossible to put yourself in the shoes of somebody seeing Jackie Chan movie, a Jackie Chan movie in 1995, having never seen or, you know, recognized the man before. Um, but in as much as like, I don't know, there's, there's that character carryover of like seeing these characters that we used to, or that we know in a new context ish. Like we see uncle Bill from uh police story and more. We see Anita Mui from uh well relevant to us drunken master Two, uh, Jackie from, of course, every Jackie Chan movie, but spun a little and like cast in a, you know, a somewhat Americanized light, I guess. Um, the trial on showed an English dubbed version of this movie, but in, I think it was Seth was mentioning that in a cut scene, Jackie is canonically a cop. Uh, who is the son of a cop from, you know, in other cuts of the movie. And so that like adds what I don't know about this character is like adds a, a, a couple extra layers to what I sort of assume about Jackie Chan that he's, you know, uh, you know, there's a, a whole also the whole concept of like he doesn't have a guide in this movie in most of the other movies we've seen from him and some of our some of the best ones that like manage to pull aside um, some of the more plotty elements are they sort of like toss it in under the uh, uh under the pretense of he has somebody to lead him through these situations he has somebody who like at least ushers him into certain worlds that character isn't quite there in this movie i think nancy is closest to it but just the way that it sort of like stews a milieu with these characters that we recognize and know and sort of the ways that we act expect them to act don't really come to fruition in a lot of ways i was wondering how that made everybody feel about the movie and about the characters or is it just like completely inconsequential does it not matter at all because it's still jackie chan as cody said still whipping ass no i i actually really like that characterization it it made me think that um this feels like a um a comic book where two superheroes from different media cross over right it's like daredevil meets batman or whatever i that wouldn't actually happen but you know something something like that where it's like a spider-man daredevil crossover and it's it's like you get to see through the sort of outsider eyes or through a different lens than you're used to uh what what another franchise that you're familiar with looks like right it's like i i immediately just assumed that jackie chan's character was his police story character so it's very funny that he used to be a cop yeah uh because like that he he just is right like he's just the, that character again um and so it's it's like very obviously we're taking police story and we're going to set it in new york and see what it's like when we apply kung fu and the police story sensibility to something like the warriors and sort of like we warp to uh, so that they're both changed, but they're both simultaneously recognizable and just like get to see what that looks like. Right. And and what it what it does to all of these characters and all of these um, these ideas we already know and we've already played with. But now we're, it's like it's like uh, taking your um, action figures. Right. And like making up your own stories about what what it would be like if these two characters met one another and i actually find that like super charming right i i think it's it's like really silly and it's really fun and it's really engaged with sort of like the um the histories and 
uh, archetypes behind all of these different film genres. And I think that it it's surprisingly clever, even when it's being really, really not clever, right? Like, hmm. I, and I think that that in in a lot of ways you couldn't even uh, do that. Um, intentionally any better than they do it inadvertently. Like I'm thinking specifically of the, um, of Nancy's brother, um, that, that character, uh, Danny, who like, it's, it's, it's not really fair, right? It's like pretty ableist, but like his whole character is that he's in a wheelchair and it's just supposed to be a shortcut to like characterizing all of these characters as sympathetic and, um, likable, but like his, disability is used against him like over and over and over again and and it's just sort of like supposed to be and that that's such a hollywood thing it's such a shortcut and it's so funny that they used it that way because it's like sure like i know that that what they're trying to do with this they're trying to make nancy likable they're trying to establish um jackie chan's character is more likable and they're trying to make the villains like really dastardly and it's perfect comic book logic and it's so silly um and there's just a billion examples of things just like that in this movie i think yeah the danny character um i had no intention of spending a lot of time on him but like i'm really glad he came up he was uh he's frustrating for the reasons that you mentioned harry but also it's like i couldn't help but like laugh at the bits that he was involved with like he's like it it is like a silly um cutting corners kind of uh kind of character um right you know just like cutting right to the bone of like we're evoking sympathy in the cheapest way possible but like when a, a younger sibling in a movie is like playing matchmaker for their older sibling, that's like, it's, that always gets a laugh from me. It's, it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just like, Oh, like, Oh, isn't she pretty? And then she's like sobbing. It's like, Oh, well not right now. And that like, innocent <laughs> like, kid kind of way. Um, him, th- uh, progressively tossing, um, I'm, I, I can't help it. Just like Jackie Chan's character, Ki Young, uh, tossing him bigger and bigger objects during a fight is like, that's a funny, Amazing. that's a funny bit. Also not um, even where he's standing, not even possible to toss him stuff from where he is in the room just like the editing makes no sense but it's so good when he gets a fucking wrench also he's pointing right. a gun at that guy during that scene so why is he hitting him it's like the gun is right there that yeah you're you're pointing a gun at jackie chan no jackie right. chan it's... was pointing a gun at that guy at that <laughs> oh point. yeah okay never mind then uh yeah I, f- I forget exactly what happens we needed to get to the wrench eventually like that's the punchline right and then the guy starts crying but yeah i don't know it, all of that con- maybe further contributes to that fine line of like they're not necessarily doing this intentionally it's corny but maybe not for the reasons they want to and then just in the moment choosing this is something that works for me or this is something that doesn't i don't know like i i hate just chalking it up to like you know, whatever your sensibility is, like, that's how it is. But I don't know. This is like a particular example of it where, yeah, I don't know. Shout out to weird younger brothers. Um, I wish my younger brother was as interested as getting me laid uh, as Danny seemed to be. That's very, very cool. That's a weird, <laughs> that's kind of a weird thing to wish, Cody. I'm not going to lie, but uh, I, I understand. Whatever. Um, We're 50 minutes in. Let me be. <laughs> Uh, but, and, and there's something I, it's, it's a difficult thing to sort of describe, right? But like, especially when the, the plot elements of this movie are as sort of maudlin and overlooked and melodramatic and silly and corny as these can be. And I'm not saying any of those pejoratively, right? Like, I really like all of those elements, but like, and then like we get, we get this hilarious over the top 
like gangster biker who is like he sticks his tongue out in the mirror so that Anita Mui can say like this guy's scum or this guy's a real jerk and then like we transition into a fight scene and then the fight scene is like the the smartest shit you've ever seen right because it's still Jackie Chan who's choreographing it that that contrast is so funny to me that it that it's just like we're gonna put we're gonna put together this like completely brainless funny like nonsense action movie and then when we get to the actual action it's like in opera right it's, it's like perfect all right uh i'm gonna open up the floor to final thoughts for uh rumble in the bronx are there any other lingering ideas little hanging chads people have got left around before we start stitching it up little hanging what it's a 2016 joke you can just move past it Okay. Uh, yes, I uh, I have not uh, been so happy watching a movie as when uh, Jackie Chan um, during the appliance fight scene uh, when he when he whips out the the ski and he starts using it to beat the shit out of people. There's something uh, very specific. I mean, we've talked about Jackie Chan utilizing everyday household objects for a kind of interesting, uh, you know, kind of ends. But I do think there is something very special about Jackie Chan having a long pole like object that is slightly bendy. That is yes. some of the best Jackie Chan action scenes. He's with a spear. He's with a thing of bamboo. He's with a ski. It's like it allows him to like jab at people while also just like slapping people around. Uh, well, and, and like it's he amazing. uses the hook part of it to like close doors and like pull people. Yes. Him. Oh, it's so good, man. That, that's my favorite uh, uh, Jackie Chan tool of the day use. Uh, I will have to think of a better name for that. But that was my favorite one uh, in this movie for sure. Yeah, like a, a prop of the week kind of scenario or, or something like that. That would be a good um, uh, Golden Berries like ooh, category, like Jackie Chan object use. I mean, it has it has a clear front runner winner already, right? What do the you? The bamboo pole. The bamboo pole. I like the this. I like the ski more than the bamboo pole. What? That's just my. Okay, I, Cody, I'm sorry, Cody. I, Cody, Cody well, we're running out of time. Please. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, uh, Mr. Nice Guy has come up uh, a lot on this episode. Um, shout out to Seth and I. Um, one nice uh, unofficial cinematic tie is um, there is an ice cream vendor in Rumble in the Bronx. Uh, that same ice cream vendor is in Mr. Nice Guy, and um, they they share an actor. It's um, apologies for pronunciation. Um, Waken Chow, aka Emil Chow. Uh, that's his stage name. He's a um, a Taiwanese singer and songwriter. Um, I don't know enough about how he got into like basically serving as a cameo for these movies. Maybe uh, I think he's, he maybe makes an appearance. I don't know if it says an ice cream vendor in like a, a later super cop movie or, or something. Um, but I, I think it's Takashi Kitano's character in fallen angels, right? He plays that character. Uh, legitimately don't know. I will. No, he, he doesn't. Takashi Kitano. Okay. Does, but was, that's an ice okay. cream man. That's, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Listen, it's wow to think that we talked about those movies this year. My brain is uh, unable to comprehend that. Um, Harry's right. That was a good joke that I completely missed in any case. Um, so not only is this uh, this may have been literally my 2019 review of this movie, but like the shared cinematic universe of Emil Chow, Ice Cream Vendor and Uncle Bill. Um, I don't know. Go watch Mr. Nice Guy if you liked Rumble in the Bronx or just go watch it anyway, even if you didn't like Rumble in the Bronx, because uh, that movie rules. That's my plug. Cool. Uh, my one of my last little tidbits, uh, the scene where the uh, essentially the warriors um, are 
sw- or slinging bottles and shit at Jackie Chan in the middle of like an empty alleyway. In any other Jackie Chan movie, he like crawls up a wall, right, and gets re- gets out of there. But they decide to make that like his low point, the point that puts him back in Nancy's orbit, etc. Um, but right after he falls and he's like just totally out, he's beaten and bloodied on the ground in the end of this uh, end of this alleyway. Uh, there is <laughs> almost comedically graffiti rising from his exact from his like de- defeated body that is like a ghost in the background like this cartoonish <laughs> ghost it like it got more of a laugh than an awe moment for me it's like his def- moment of defeat right the moment that puts him back uh back in the plot but like man that, that was i thought that was pretty good i feel it's I like feel somebody like, wrote ouchie on the wall with an arrow pointing down at him yeah it felt like onomatopoeia almost it was very goofy um uh seth is there any seth or harry i guess are there any uh less little Go ahead, seth yeah, uh, I told this to Jason while we were watching, uh, and we touched about it where uh, the, this Hong Kong production has its sort of, oh, this is what uh, New York and gang life is like, right? Uh, I paired this with uh, Final Fight, which is a Capcom beat-em-up game, uh, a Japanese video game company. So that also features a metro city uh, filled with like, very bombastically wardrobed uh, gang members. And I think it gave me a very skewed perspective on what gang life actually <laughs> looks like. Uh, I thought we would all be wearing neon colors and like swashbuckling style clothing. And that is probably not the case. My version of uh, Final Fight growing up was uh, at my, my grandma's house. She had a Super Nintendo that one of my cousins had left there to for something to play whenever he came over. And he had the video game, which no one no one remembers now, which is uh, Rival Turf, uh, which has an oh, exclamation yeah. point at the end of it. Do you remember Rival Turf? Rival yeah, Turf. Uh, it was like Double uh, Dragon, basically, right? It was, it was like a very, very shitty version of it. Uh, same thing where like uh, uh, just people wearing, I mean, I'm looking at pictures now, people wearing overalls. You got leather jackets. You got de- everybody is wearing denim. Like this is like prime denim oh, yeah. period where it's like you're you're showing a gang in uh, New York City or whatever. And it's like, yeah, they're going to wear like blue denim. Yeah, the denim, um, the denim to uh, like knife gang pipeline is very, very well established, especially in movies, but in real life, too. Yes. Uh, my last thought is uh, we were talking about the Warriors a little bit, and uh, uh, I'm just going to say it. Uh, if the Warriors had uh, Jackie Chan on their side, wouldn't have had any problem getting back to Coney Island. That's my opinion. They wouldn't have even needed to take a train. I mean, yeah, they, just, they, they straight up just walk. It just Jackie Chan just throws people off cliffs every every time they come up. Well, uh, he... Jackie Chan would have hit Luther with like some sort of a... Um, ski or uh um like sign that he had plucked off the ground or yeah, something just like warriors yeah. come out and a, a trash can just hits him in the right. head and he's immediately dead well that's our uh warriors remake fan cast featuring uh jackie chan uh thank you so much for listening to this episode uh we have one final segment that we need to uh get seth's help introing i think you probably know the tune by now but i'll let uh i'll let harry lead us in Thank you, Jason. It is the tune for the segment that we like to call <gasps> Cody's Modies. There you go. Wow. Awesome. Thank you so much, as always, gentlemen, for that super introduction. The uh, The city environment in which this film takes place is inarguably crucial to its final product. And this is, of course, far from the only example in which that is the case. Many films rely on their setting in a number of ways. I figured it would make sense for us to call out some of those. So, fellas, uh, pack your bags and get ready for a segment I like to call Trip Love, a movie pod quest. 
Yeah, All right, yeah. not, wow. not where I thought this was going to go. Absolutely not where I thought this was going to go. But I'm 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 game. Yeah, it'll be a journey, but we'll get there together. Uh, for this exercise, we're we're going to bop around to various notable. Um, I'll just say locations in cinema. I will be presenting clues that allude to these locations. These locations, they might be cities, they might be states, they might be other New York boroughs. No, they'll just be cities and states. The the clues themselves, rather, will be titles of movies that take place in these places. Uh, And my evergreen disclaimer for these types of games is that I've done my best to handpick movies that we're all at least generally familiar with. Uh, And as we go, if you think you know the correct location that's being characterized, raise your little Zencaster hand. I'll keep an eye on those. Once I see a hand raised, I'll stop reading. I'll call on you. And if you're correct, you'll get the appropriate amount of points, I'll say. Uh, And if you're not correct, we'll keep going until someone can get it right. Each person will only get one guess per round, so use that guess wisely. This is uh, one of those fastest hand sort of games where time is of the essence. But I'll remind you all anyway of the Trivia Mafia mantra, which is use your noodles, now to your Googles. Uh, One final note, each location will have five movie title clues. And if you're able to issue a correct guess after one clue, you'll get five points. A correct guess after two clues will get you four points, and so on and so forth. Whew. With that, let's let's jump in, starting with number one here. So the answer that I'm looking for is a, a state. The answer in the form of a state is what we're looking for here. And the first movie title clue is Rollerball. Rollerball. Uh, I see Jason's hand. Jason, would you like to issue a guess? Texas. Wow, Jason Daphnis on the board with five. Nice. Wow, five. That's amazing. Um, I will run through the rest of these clues here. Um, roller. That ball. was Dallas, uh, right? It took place in Dallas. Uh, Houston is the Houston. The, okay, the team, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um. So we got Rollerball. Uh, the next one was going to be Blood Simple. Then Dazed and Confused, which is an evergreen Linklater thing, almost. Uh. And then uh, the last two clues would have been a, a few prior episodes the last picture show and then um paris, paris texas. texas yeah yep um perfect wow so uh, jason daphnis gets on the board first he strikes early with five points um i perceive the difficulty of these clues um a, a little differently we'll see how this goes uh moving to number two here uh, the answer that we're looking for should come in the form of a city so we're looking for a city for number two. First clue jack and jill jack and jill Mm, no takers on that one. Mm, surprising. Uh, <laughs> clue number two here. The Sandlot. The Sandlot. I'm going to move on. Clue number three. Speed. Speed. I see I, it's Aaron and then Jason. Aaron, your guess first. Uh, L.A.? That's right. Los Angeles. Uh, what's his name? Keanu, Jeff Daniels. They're part of the LAPD. Uh, the other the other two clues, um, we would have had Drive and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, so oh, my goodness. Was, the Sandlot is set in L.A.? That's right. That, uh, can you imagine how much those houses can think, are worth now? Jesus Christ. $3 million they dollars for each of those they are houses. Not, they are not yeah. houses anymore. They are... Uh, De- developed uh yeah <laughs> high rise uh yeah i am i'm just gonna go on the record R- and R- say R- here i'm i'm really glad that i got those five points off the bat <laughs> <laughs> i man i was banking on those of us who went to see rollerball not remembering uh where where that uh where james Conn's team was based out of 
Seth just go just go into the next room and just hit man Jason. Just like press context button. He's right not gonna do while he's recording. Oh no. oh no! He's got a gun. Is that a video game reference? We're moving on to number that three here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I wanted, I wanted to squash that early. Um, I'm I'm like I'm partway there. Uh, number three here. Uh, so we've got five of these total as we usually do. We're at number three. This is another answer that should come in the form of a city, starting with uh, clue number one, which is the Exorcist. The Exorcist. I see. I see Jason's hand. Jason, do you want to take another swing here? I don't lose any points for guessing wrong, right? No, you just yes. like, lose your guess for the rest of the turn. I'm going to say this is city. Yes. Baltimore. What the uh, fuck? That's what I was going to say. Well, you didn't need to say that. Now your guess is spent. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it, incorrect. Um, uh, so Jason is, is done for, uh, for this round anyway. Um, <laughs> Harry giving his hand away. Harry, do you still want to issue a guess? Yeah, no, I, that was he raised his hand. I think he no, has to. I was going to gonna say Baltimore. That doesn't. He has he's to playing guess too now, by the correct? rules. Yeah, he's playing too much by the rules. I, Seth, are we? I don't know. I'm, uh, right. Okay, I'll yeah, guess. You, you I, guess. I mean, something. I can guess. I don't. Yeah. I don't mind. You fucking buzzer in and trivia. I, yeah. I'm. I. I wasn't going to enforce it. If you feel bad and want to take a guess, you can. Otherwise, we've got four more movies. I mean, I don't feel bad, but I'll take a guess if you're going to. If you, these guys are going to be, you know, it's a matter of principle <laughs> at a certain point, you know. If we're uh, going to let you not play by the rules, no, we're not going to do that. You're going to play by the rules. Thank you, Seth. Thank you. Harry, why don't you play by the rules? I'd get, like to guess Boston. Boston is the guess. Boston is is incorrect. Um, not the city <laughs> we're looking <laughs> for. <laughs> I'm going to move along here. Wild and over here. Uh, second clue, wedding crashers. Wedding crashers. Seth, with a guess. Uh, Washington, D.C.? Washington DC is correct. Seth on the board with Whoa. four points. Baltimore was very, very close. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Boston, I guess, is also in that neck of the, uh, the woods. Shout out to shout out to the guesses from this round. Uh, the other three clues we would have had: uh, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. Uh, that is also DC centralized. Um, all the president's men would have been the fourth clue. And the final clue would have been Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Um, perfect. Well, this is a really fun game. And then I guess Seattle. <laughs> Jason's involvement oh, of Cody's notice is directly on. dependent on how well he's doing. Yes. I mean, you understand I mean, the concept of victory. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he's he's not wrong. I don't know. I I would not fault anybody for having that uh, inclination toward the perception of of this game. Um, maybe everybody's uh, opinions of it will fluctuate here. We've got this is still anybody's anybody's race here. We've got two more uh, locations, two more locales. Uh, this next one, the second to last one, number four. This is going to come in the form of a state. We're looking for a state for this uh, for this place, starting with Jennifer's body. Jennifer's body. Jason with the hand raise. What's the guess, my man? This is state. A state. Nevada. Nevada, Nevada, Nevada is the guess. It is incorrect. But I, as a, a fan of big swings, I can't help but but Thank you. look on Thank you. and and not approvingly. Um I'm gonna move on to the second clue, which is drop dead gorgeous. Drop dead gorgeous. All right, no no takers, no bites on that. I'm going to move on to the third clue, which is grumpy old men. 
grumpy old men. I think I know this now. Uh, our fourth clue here, jingle all the way. Harry's hand, Harry's guess. Uh, can I say the Twin Cities? Uh, Where do you want I'm this looking specific for, one? I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking for a state. Oh, the state. Okay, yeah, sorry, Minnesota. All right, yes. Uh, yes, Minnesota is correct. Jingle all the way, of course. Um, we, we, we hit up all the all the biggies. We hit up, uh, what is it, Mickey's Diner. We hit up the Mall of America. All those two is, places, the two Minnesota landmarks. Have you seen Jennifer's body? I'm sorry, this has been bugging me. Jason, have you seen Jennifer's body? No. It makes sense that it's set in Minnesota now because it's written by Diablo Cody, but I have never seen it, so I didn't know that. Yeah. Wait, why, I, why is this an important question, Aaron? I, I just the I'm 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 I, I appreciate the 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 gutsiness. I'm just wondering why you put your hand it, up for Jennifer's it me, body. Uh, it gives me Vegas vibes. All right. Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah. Sure. No, yeah, understandable. Uh, the fifth clue, in case anybody was wondering, uh, would have been purple rain. Purple rain. Purple <laughs> rain. Um, so a quick rundown of the scores here. I am, I'm seeing Jason, uh, with five, Seth with four, Aaron with three, Harry with two points. Again, still very much anybody's game, uh, going into the last, uh, place in cinema. Uh, however you want to characterize that. I'm running out of ways to say that this is going to come in the form of a city. We're looking for a city for this question. Uh, starting with clue number one, which is diamonds are forever. Diamonds are forever. Second clue, cool world. Jason, with the hand raise. Jason, what's the guess? We're looking for city? City. Hmm. I can't think of any cities in Arizona, so I'll just say uh, Baltimore again. Jason says Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore is not not correct. It's not the city we're looking for. Oh, Jesus. I that looked away first. for a second. Which, that was me Aaron, first. Aaron first. Harry, do you right. agree? Uh, I want to make sure that I'm... Yeah, uh, go for it. Uh, right, Aaron just, and then Harry. Aaron, what's the guess? Solely going off with Jason's at Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix is the guess. Phoenix is not correct. Apologies. Oh, you well, set me up with the excited I'm voice there. Dude, that was pretty yeah, good. I I, I'm, a, I'm a tricksy rabbit. And uh, Harry, I saw your hand up. Does, uh, I took this in my guess if possible. I think you should guess. Seth. Judges, gotcha, what do we think? I, I I think we just ruled on this earlier, and he had all right. Guess. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, fucking um, Sun City West. That's where my grandparents uh, retired in Arizona. Oh, hey! Shoutouts to them. Uh, it's an incorrect guess, but hey, if they're listening, um, cool for them that they heard you thinking about them. Uh, so the only person remaining with a guess is Seth. I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep reading. Uh, we've got three more clues here. Three more clues. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the th- third clue uh, of five is Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. You don't have to. Again, we got two more mm-hmm. clues mm-hmm. after this. So you're not, you're not, um, you know, you're not required to guess, but I'm going to keep vamping a little can and we, I will can now we, um, read off. Can we re- re- recount the score? Is it now Seth and I are tied? No. If, uh, if, if I get it in the next one, I win uh, from yes. the next clue. So, so right now, right now we are okay. You are five. Yep. I so, am four. Yep. Yep. So if, wow. yep. So for, for folks keeping track at home, Jason's at five, 
Seth is at four. If Seth and gets it, all it comes on down to F, this. if Seth gets it on the next clue, he wins. If he gets it on the last clue, then he and Jason tie. If Seth makes a guess and he is wrong, then Jason wins. It is next goal wins. You love to see it, folks. Uh, sports fans, listen in as we get into the fourth clue. The fourth clue for this last question of Cody's noties. Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven. I believe it is uh, Las Vegas. Las Vegas is the guess. And Las Vegas is the correct answer. Ocean's Eleven, the last clue would have been Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas to really make, again, (laughs) the The fifth Um, guess would have been Leaving Las Vegas. (laughs) Seth, you've never seen Paul Bart 2. No, I have not. I I will admit my shortcomings. I've watched it because of the the podcast that everybody knows right. related to yeah, it. Yeah, I I tried to put something in, a, a little something in here for everybody. Um, Cool World was for Jason. Paul Blart was for um was for uh, I figured Aaron. I wasn't quite sure. I tried to drop little little ones for everybody throughout the game. Um, if that didn't end up being the case, hey, those are the noties. But um, the final score here: uh, Harry two, Aaron three, Jason five, and our our champ Seth Zarati six points. Thank you, everybody, for playing. This has been Trip Love, a movie pod quest. Uh, Seth, do you want to pop off uh, a little bit here? Uh, come at the king, you best not miss. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I am retiring effective immediately. Zero defeats on uh, on Trip Love, a pod quest. Uh, so suck it. <laughs> Uh, Harry, you were right. I, I absolutely hate this game now. I am ruining my time with it. Uh, regretting ever actually, uh, competing. Well, just uh, look at it this way. You point, have the yeah. privilege to live with the champion of PodQuest. I'm going to kick you out of the call if you keep talking. Uh, thank you very much, listener, for listening to this episode of Try Love, And thank you very much to our very special guest, Seth Zarati, for being on it. Uh, where can people find you, Seth? Uh, you can find me on all my socials uh, at SN Zarati. That's like karate with a Z. Uh, and thank you very much, Cody, for another rousing edition of Cody's Noties, a, uh, p- the pod quest. I hope we uh, get another another go at that particular format because that was a lot of fun. Uh, and you can find our podcast at Trial of Podcast. You can find the Trial on Cinema at Trial on Cinema and at Trialon.org. You can get tickets to movies like the one we just talked about. Um, there are a lot of cool series coming up. Uh, the Halloween Horathon, I believe, is all sold out. Um, House Who Still has a lot of tickets left. Uh, you should go to there if you are uh, comfortable enough and if you live close enough. Um, and let us know if you do because it'd be really fun to uh to meet up and maybe talk movies uh for right now my name is jason daphnis you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus i've been cody narvison you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh Uh, seth thank you so much for being on the pod um it's nice to be in the presence of somebody else who at least knows what uh mr nice guy is um and so i don't know when that reference comes from somebody other than me that it just feels it feels so good um shout out to jackie chan uh, come on the pod. You're in our thoughts and prayers, all that good stuff. Uh, I've been Harry. I just want to point out that Jason was trying to put his hand on the scale to influence future Cody's noties. That's an unprecedented event. Cody, don't listen to him. Uh, just keep doing what you do best, which is coming up with your own thing. Hey, Harry, are you on Twitter? Time. Are you on Twitter? Do you want to leave, leave they your know head where or I anything? Am. 
Uh, my name's Aaron. Uh, Cody, don't listen to don't listen to Harry. Don't listen to Jason. If you could instead uh, focus your future Cody's Noties quiz uh, segments on maybe open world video games, uh, science fiction books, you know that kind of content, uh, just you know for no reason. Uh, but in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at RB Please. Uh, coming next week, Genie's Wolfies. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, clean read coming. Hey, what can I say to you? Welcome to America, my nephew. <laughs>